Nerds International proudly presents Hello and welcome to the 3T RPG podcast. This is a podcast all about tabletop RPGs. My name is Harrison Hunt, and with me I have the famous Nick Lamley. Infamous. No, famous. <laughs> famous. Just fum. Mm, I like famous with carrot sticks. Oh, Sorry, that was that was awful. Last bit of fumus. Oh, okay, God. right. Enough of that. So yeah, as I said, this is a podcast all about tabletop RPGs, and we've got some great bloody items we've got Ooh. what you've been saying where we talk about what we've been playing there's the main subject where we're going to do a review of judge dread in the world a 2080 t- tabletop adventure game i fucked it up <laughs> and then i've got a new segment called wife eye signal <laughs> and you'll, you'll you'll be able to figure out what that is later on and nick's got a special surprise item yep and then we got the electro letters oh yeah for now, I just want to give a quick uh, PSA because uh, essentially we missed an episode of Dirt Boy Blues recently. Okay, yeah. And I just wanted to let the people know, let our fans, well, listeners know <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that that is still happening. Oh, God, yeah. We had to take a few weeks off for a family emergency. Yep. It's all sorted out. Yep. It's all sorted the, out. Family now. are back together. Family are back together. We reconciled it for them. We don't yeah. know the family. <laughs> no, it was a different family. We, we had just, to step in. We walking down the road, saw a family emergency, <laughs> and we sorted it out. Took three, six weeks, but it's done. <laughs> God, that family were nutters. Oh, I tell you what. So, right, let's get on to what we've been playing in What You Slaying. And I've one of these. Oi, yeah? What You Slaying. So first up, obviously we've been playing Lamentations of the Flame Princess. That campaign is still ongoing. Gotcha. But uh, it's we kind of done it as like a open table West Marches type game, although nobody's stepped up to actually run one yet, except for Nick. Yes. So what it means is that any GM can jump in, add to the story, should they want to, and mm-hmm. if they feel like it, they can take it in an interesting direction. And it worked out really well because you did a, a prequel. I did, yes. Did a did a did a prequel to basically the the the, the events that kind of led up to the party kind of meeting or just before they met and then them leading up to them getting into the town where the actual game started off so I thought it would be a nice little area to kind of shine a light on and, and run an adventure in and we could kind of see the relationships because we never really knew the background of the group did we we just no, kind of they were together it was something you agreed on like yeah. you met on the road but That's we it. never really discussed how so, so um, I wanted to play how they met on the road yeah just to let you know listeners our window is open we're not closing it because it's hot today it's way hot yeah <laughs> but yeah it was and you did the Tales from the Scarecrow Tales of the Scarecrow Tales of the Scarecrow yeah uh, which is I believe part of an anthology it is now. It is Originally, now. Originally, it was just a short adventure that was released by James Raggy, and it was uh, a Lamentations adventure. It's fantastic. And now they've got these two adventure anthologies. One is Death, and the other one's Fire, <laughs> which is fucking cool. But, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, so it tells the Scarecrow is in one of those. So, mm-hmm. yeah. What, what did you think? make of it? I loved it. What I liked about what I really liked about this adventure is that it leaves it very open for you, and it's a very kind of straightforward premise, but... At the same time, it's a it's it's essentially a giant puzzle. This 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 adventure. It pretty much say. is, and it's like a really tiny sandbox. Tiny little sandbox. It, essentially, the um the people the party are on the road, mm-hmm. and they come across a farm, and uh, they're hungry. They go to the farm, and it turns out that there's a big monster underneath all of the corn. That's and right. It's making it go weird and black. And yep. 
there's a harpsichord inside that can soothe it, but mm-hmm. that's only if the players aren't too wary of shit that, like that. That's so exactly it. Yeah. We were, and we had to try and leg it across the field to save somebody. And yeah, it was. It's it's a really small area, but all the whole adventure takes place there, and you can do what you like with it. Yeah, totally. I loved it, and it, it reminded me a little bit of um, Tremors. Do you remember Tremors when they're all stuck in the town and they're like on the top of the roofs and like the creatures underneath are like trying to get them? It was a bit like that because. If you're in the let's say like the little f- farmsteads right in the middle of the cornfield, and that's directly below the monster's brain, so if you're there, you're fine. But as soon as you walk into the cornfield, it can get you with its tentacles, and that was the fun because it was them trying to run across this f- cornfield, big tentacles after them, and you know, and like the path into the farm then gets blocked because the monster could control the corn essentially. So it's a, it's it's like a puzzle of trying to get back out the corn again. It's it's brilliant. What I really liked about it was the 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 even something as simple as moving through because the corn is so tall and it yep. keeps regrowing. Yep. It's like it's really difficult, oh. and it actually ended with somebody casting the fly spell with uh, the other two players attached, and my character who I was playing for the one-off on top of the roof, like get away while you still can, slashing at these tentacles, and it yeah. was just—it was so good, man. It was really good fun. Proper good horror adventure. Check yeah, it I out. loved it. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it because I really, really enjoyed oh, it. It's, it's one of the best I've played, man. Oh, Very good. Mate, just kicked my mic. Um, <laughs> so we've obviously, yeah, Lamentations in general is going pretty well. They yes. just finished the first arc of the campaign. And what it was was essentially a. I tried to make the most cliche story possible, kind of fun and different. Yeah. So it was the whole party having to kill an evil wizard who'd kidnapped a princess. That was essentially what it was. Mm-hmm. Well, things didn't quite go as planned in the ending of the arc because what <laughs> happened is, is they broke into the wizard's hut by flying onto the. Not hut, tower. tower. By flying on the back of a magically conjured dragon, mm-hmm. smashing the roof in and beating the everlasting piss out of him. But then taking instead of saying he was like the leader of these barbarians and instead of like saying well now I disband all of you evil people they took control of them <laughs> yeah. so now you guys are the leaders of, of a uh, barbaric nation which is insane <laughs> but what's oh. really cool is because they it's, it, they've essentially got this one rule in their town it's the rule of duel if you don't <laughs> yeah. if you don't if you have a disagreement with somebody you challenge them to a duel and if you win you're now the guy That's you had it. a disagreement with Morden who was the leader you killed him, and now you're the now we the guy, yeah. Yeah, and to prove and and like just to just to kind of um, solidify our rule, we had to then do a blood right, which was uh, uh, the, the person that we wanted to be king had to fight the barbarians' champion because they challenged it, right? Yeah, and and along with a bunch of other challenges, but yeah. yeah, that was it, and it was called was it the blood right of the doom pits or something like this? It was like I tried to make it as barbaric as possible in like a jokey way. Yeah, and it was amazing. It was it was um, it was it was awesome, and. Um, Oh mate, it, it, I've never played a game now where you've got so much power. Yeah, like normally you're always on the back foot, adventuring. But I like how lazy our party's got straight away. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh they literally—they're now doing something uh, called the Barrow Maze, where they know that Morden had a backup plan and he buried a um, like an artifact, a really powerful, deadly artifact, it, under a grave. Yep. And they basically get to this graveyard that's all these barrow mounds, and then they go, well. Fuck, and there's like 70 of them. And oh, so mate, yeah. Immediately, what you guys did is set your army digging yep, and, then, and yep. then went to the pub. With their weapons, bless them. <laughs> I love the way that when adventure calls now, we just kind of try and delegate <laughs> rather than answer the call. That's what being a leader is, I guess. Yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> it, it's, it is really, really fun. Like, 
you guys it's a weird having shift. power. I love yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's a really weird shift to animal games, and it's really, really, really enjoyable. So yeah, if you can play, a, a, think about that, dear listener. If you're ever playing a game where the characters are high level, don't mm. you can have them actually have real power. Mm. Lamentations is set up specifically for that, which yeah. is awesome. But yeah, it, it really is fun doing that kind of stuff. But now we've got to make like you know normal your normal run of the you know your normal game night would sometimes involve like you know a bit of battling and a bit of adventuring. Now it's more like a, right. So we need to move some troops and. And, and like doing staff registers and sending people, like comes with a lot more responsibility but very different and some of the things you do you have to be wary that your people might disagree oh, with God, it yeah. and that, that's, that is really really because like there are so many things where you'll be like maybe we can change the laws so this and your advisors will be like well it is not the way no, we're not like this. If you were to change the way, then be prepared to duel yeah. for many days. So we're a bit screwed, really. So we're uh, we're in a bit of a precarious situation, but it's fun. It is good. <laughs> and um, lastly, uh, we often talk about things, you know, new gets, new oh, buys, yeah. things like this. And Nick, you picked up. Well, I, I got you a little gift. Oh, I, I dark overlord. I dark overlord. So I think I'm sure we've spoken about this a little bit before on the podcast in the um, Savage Con episode. But um, your game finished up a bit early, didn't it? And you had the pleasure of playing this cracking game. Yeah. So I w- I'm not gonna, I hopefully not give anything away by saying this, but Nick was involved in a pretty bad game at the time, and all he could hear was us playing this card game over the other side of the room. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because it, it is kind of a role playing game in certain senses. Yes, absolutely. Like if you've ever watched The Apprentice, it's essentially one the the main guy who's the runner of the game. He plays a goblin boss, and yeah. you all play goblins that have failed on a mission. Yeah, and the idea is up. to use your cards to try and and role playing to try and divert attention to somebody else exactly. blame somebody else or give an excuse things like this so the overlord would be like so drip tell me why you were unable to take the princess and let's say for example i have the thousand bees card i can be like well it was because him over there he set off a bunch of bees and then he, he'll divert his attention yep. that's the kind of thing mm-hmm. but if you if your excuse is bad then you can get a withering withering stare, stare. you get two of those and you go into the fire pits you're dead yeah that's it and that's it really yep. great game but it's we so were playing good. this alongside nick nick was playing this uh kind of bad game at the time and all he could hear was us going no it's the guy was running the game and all he could hear was the guy running the game saying you sent a dragon to pick up prostitutes yeah some dragon down whoring <laughs> yeah and it was like it was so much fun oh, yeah because we man. finished early so we yeah. just fuck it let's play this so really? harris was nice enough to pick it up for me because it's actually quite an old game and quite a very hard game to get hold of bloody hard to find uh, yes the guy, the guy i bought it off he actually it was only selling it for 30 quid which is insane which is nuts yeah you can only find it for like 60 mm-hmm. 70 it's like half the price it should have been it's so. a cracking game it's a fl- uh, fantasy flight game isn't it I don't know. I believe it's made by Fantasy Flight Games. I'm almost certain. If no, it is. Yeah, it is. It is made by Fantasy Flight Games. Well, they've done a good job. It's a very good game. So we're we're hoping to maybe do a few, and we might record them because there'll be a yeah, that'll be fine. Get the I boys think. involved, and maybe we'll do one. So um, stay tuned. But yeah, I Dark Overlord. If you can get if you can get your hands on it, do it because it's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, next up, we're going to move on to the main subject, which is Judge Dread in the Worlds of 2000 AD tabletop adventure game. So let's get on with that. Main subject: magic. Main. Subject, Tokyo. Main. Subject. Voyage into the far future in this versatile tabletop game of science fiction adventure. Mutant bounty hunters hunt down the scum of the universe. The noble houses of a resurgent imperial Russia use every means at their disposal to attempt to become the supreme power using bribery, assassination, espionage, diplomacy and war. The solar system is invaded by the geeks, a hostile alien race hell-bent on the destruction of mankind on Earth and her colonies in the solar system. 
criminal hitmen to fill their contracts, blasting their way through rivals and bodyguards to achieve their bloody payday. Occult investigators hunt down demons and restless spirits, threatening both the lives and the souls of the people of Britain. Hello. Hello. So that is Judge Dredd and the Worlds of 2000 AD tabletop adventure game. I mean, they—they, they, I think they should have just called it Judge Dredd the RPG. It's a snappy title, that for right? <laughs> <laughs> It really rolls off the tongue. But yes, we're talking about Judge Dredd today, the new role-playing game that's just come out from a British company whose name I forget. 2000 AD Rebellion? Yeah, I guess Rebellion? so. Yeah, so 2000 AD Rebellion. There I don't know. Go. So uh, Judge Dredd is an open-type game system called Woin. That, that means what old what's old is new. Oh, that's right. Yeah, of yeah. course. What's old is new. Yeah. And there are Wait. actually other games that use the system, yes. but I've looked them up and there's none that you would really know of. No? Like, okay. they're very small ones that yeah. are out there. They're on drive-thru and things like this. Yeah. But this allows people to play in any of the worlds depicted in the Fantastic 2000 AD comics. Although this game has a focus on playing judges, basically, lawmen in Mega City 1 who fight criminals, robots, mutants, and mutant robots, the Wayne system allows you to play in any of the worlds from 2080 yeah. from there's one like the ace trucking company where you find your fortune with your own intergalactic shipping company sinister dexter where you play as hitmen for the mob in download city <laughs> nice. and there are many many more but of course i want to shout out my favorite the ballad of halo jones Oy. where you play as people living their lives on the hoop which is a ring-shaped structure in the atlantic ocean big enough to house many cities as you can see this game is going for versatility but is the book actually useful in this regard is it the ultimate sci-fi fantasy game? Sci-fi fantasy, sci-fi fantasy? Let's Ooh. bloody well find out. Let's bloody find out. <laughs> <laughs> so the book begins with an introduction explaining what 2000 AD is and also what the game is kind of about. Obviously, as I mentioned, Judge Dredd is the main setting. So for those that don't know, Judge Dredd is set in 2099. Not too far off then. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. Yeah. So one day we'll see this actually happen. Yeah. Um, a, a huge global war has goofed everything into a radioactive wasteland, and thus, in the few cities which exist, the population is astronomically high. People packed in like cheap ham. Oh, lovely. And the one judge... Judge Dress, I put there. Judge Dress. <laughs> and the one which Judge Dress play, pl takes place in, which I've written in my notes, <laughs> is Mega City 1, which is one of the three cities still standing in America. It's a typical future city with high-rise blocks and scummy, alleyway, and scummy alleyways, but the tower blocks are so high that the biggest among them can house 50,000 people. Jeez. Well good. Yeah. Now, the unemployment is rampant in Mega City 1, what with overpopulation and many jobs being taken by robots, so people are mad, all manner of crimes happen, and owing to the nature of crowded and built-up cities, crimes can be very difficult to solve. And thus, Mega City 1 employs these new types of special law enforcement called judges. Yeah. Oh yeah, so everyone, well obviously most people know Judge Dredd. I would like to think so. He's the typical type of judge. Mm -hmm. You see, judges have complete power to enforce the law in any way they see fit and by any means. So when you watch like the film and that, he's obviously usually being like really violent and horrible. Yep. And it's because he's allowed to do what he wants. Because he can do what the hell he likes. He can enforce it however he's he wants. He's judge, jury and executioner, isn't he? Exactly. And... They capture perps, sentence them, and make sure the sentence is fulfilled. Yeah. So, for example, you could be out littering, and suddenly a judge goes, execution. Hey, and then he's responsible for carrying out the execution. He shoots you in the face. <laughs> for littering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then makes more human litter. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And then, he, and then he can say to somebody, clean that up. Clean that up. And if they don't, they're perverting the course of justice. <laughs> execution. <laughs> uh, this is why I think it's it, so far the premise is very, very good, because it, it really makes for players doing whatever the fuck yeah, they want yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're playing a judge game you yeah. don't have to yeah that's true so 
of course, judges are very recognisable owing to their cracking costumes, mm-hmm. but it's not all about cool outfits with shoulder pads so large you could land a plane on them. No. <laughs> judges, judges have access to cool equipment too, the most iconic being the Lawmaker pistol. Oh, yeah. You remember that one? Oh, yeah. That's one they, they, talk to, they can do different settings on it and everything, can't they? Yes, it can fire ver- uh, various types of ammo. So it's like you can have like acid shots yep. or, or shotgun shots. Stun shots. Yep, to- loads and loads. And then there's, of course, the Lawmaster motorcycle. Yeah. But it's it's worth noting at this point, however, that in Judge Dredd, as I said, you don't have to play judges. You can be criminals, regular folk, whatever. One of the main types of campaign it says to do if you're not playing judges is perps. Okay. So yep. you play criminals on the run from, from judges. The judges yep. And think about how fucking cool a judge would be as a bad guy. Oh, mate. Like, yeah. they would do anything to get to yeah. you. You know what I mean? It'd be awesome. So yeah. yeah, the next thing that follows is a how to play role playing game section. There's nothing really interesting there, but what is cool is the example of play section, which is illustrated beautifully in comic form. Amazing. Have you read that one? Yeah, yeah. It's really good because it tells like actually a really short, compelling story in like two pages, but it's just um, yeah, it's actually telling you how to play the game. Well, it's perfect, so. right? Yeah, and it's like visual visual aid rather than having to read a bunch of text and try and understand it. It's just it's just perfectly there in, in, in great illustrations. And so. you know like the side boxes you often get in comics? Yeah. That will show what the DM's doing. Exactly, like, yeah. It's, clever. it's really, really clever. It's clever way to do it. And in the comic, the, the, the a group of judges are tracking down a criminal named Spuggy Mullet and they've tracked him to the Rick Astley block, <laughs> apartment 1178F, and discuss their moves. Throughout the short comic, it demonstrates when the GM should ask for a role, what happens as the consequences of a bad role and different play styles. It's a really entertaining way to do that. Following this is an example of all of the 2000 AD worlds, and they all sound brilliant. We've noted the Ballad of Halo Jones and Sinister Dexter, but there's a fair few more. There's Robo Hunter, Slain, Strontium Dog, and they mention at some point many of them will be available to buy a source yeah, book. That's what's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so all of the settings available for this system are going to be 2000 AD ones. Absolutely. So it wasn't just a Kickstarter, it was literally Kickstarter and kind of this whole product line. I a guess. product line, yeah, yeah. yeah. A brand. Yeah, a brand, yeah. So. Let's get into character creation and strap in, ladies and gentlemen, because this takes a little bit of time, yeah. but um, it is important to note this, because this game is kind of different to most things that I've seen. Um, so, character creation, making a character in the game, it does have a good amount of depth, but as mm-hmm. I said, I don't know if it seems that quick. No. So, first you determine your attributes, which are agility, endurance, intuition, logic, willpower, charisma, and luck. And finally, Reputation and Psionics. You start with three in all of them, except for Reputation and Psionics. There is no upper limit to attributes, which is awesome, as this is a dice pool game. The more dice, the more you have in a stat determines how many dice you roll. If you have a one to two in a skill, you roll one, basically. Uh, yep. So it's not like each number means a certain dice, it's that when a number gets past a certain threshold, you can add an extra uh, dice. I see, gotcha. Yeah, so if you have a three to five, you roll two dice, Mm -hmm. a six to nine, you add three dice, and so on. Got you. And now we move on to your grade. This determines your maximum dice pool. It's kind of like your level, your starting level. Okay, yeah. So your grade is measured by how many career grades you have. Most characters start with five. Well, that's like the default, basically. Mm -hmm. Meaning that at character creation, they pick five careers. Now, this doesn't mean they've constantly been in and out of jobs. It can can represent their hobbies, too. Got you. So you could even take, for example, gaming, Mm -hmm. and that can be something you did from the age of four. You were Mm -hmm. just a child gaming. Got you. And then you'd be good at gambling and shit. Yeah. But you can put five into one career. So that's five grades, and then you just spend it all in one career. So you're well good at that one. Yeah, I got no hobbies. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. you could spend all five in different jobs. Still means the same thing when it comes to dice pools. It just means you're a grade five character. Yeah, yeah. But picking your actual career comes slightly later. First, you have to determine your character's skills. 
this forms the other half of your dice pool. So you're rolling attribute plus skill plus mm-hmm. plus gear always. Well, every time. So you could be you could be rolling quite a few dice then. Yeah, it, mm. it gets it can get crazy. Right? Oh, nice. Like, there's an example of a hero later on. They say you know Einstein, for example, would have had a 15 in in intuition. Yeah. You know, or, yeah. or logic, whatever. Yeah. Got you. Um, yeah, so you you the skill list is like basically completely open. It gives examples for sporting skills, athletic skills, crafting ones, combat ones, but any activity can be a skill. Nice. So if it's not on the list, you make just it. have to make sure it comes under one of those groups. Got ya. Yeah, yeah. So that you can associate it to the right attribute. Yeah, makes sense. That, that's pretty much it. So, oh, so uh, every skill is linked to an attribute, right? Like other games we've played. So yeah, pretty much. Got ya. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's but it can be open. Mm-hmm. It, the, the book gives fuckloads. Yeah, but. You know, it's it's open. It's all there. Yeah. If one that you, for for example, like in the artistic ones, it lists calligraphy, modelling, or (laughs) filmmaking. But pedigree dog grooming isn't in there, for example. But if you wanted it, you can make it. it Yeah, that's an artistic. That's good. I like that. So it's open. Yeah. And the amount of skills at this point is determined by your species. So it's time to pick your species. The default ones in the book are human, clone, mutant, robot, ape, chimp. Ape gorilla and ape orangutan. Not a lot of ape focus. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but um, we'll get into those later because it, it, there, there is a reason why it's so ape based. Yeah. But anyway, all of these species have their benefits. For example, humans gain plus two to luck and any other attribute of their choice, along with a plus one to any other attribute, and they may choose from any skills. Nice. Conversely, a mutant will have plus two to willpower, reputation, and endurance, but they only may choose from skills which fall under the umbrella of bluffing, disguise, running, or stealth. Okay. Um, still, so that that's a wide array of skills you can choose, but those are the only ones you can choose. Everything else is going to be untrained. Gotcha. Um, but careers can change that, so we'll get into that in a bit. But um, all characters also begin the game with a few exploits, which are like advantages from GURPS or edges from Savage Worlds. Yeah. Humans start with enduring, where they gain plus one to all attempts to shake off a condition. Chimps, however, start with a fuckload of exploits. Natural climbers can move in zero G without negative modifiers. They gain plus five to leaping, and they do plus one D6 with thrown weapons. Because, you know, monkeys are all chucking Really good at frying stuff, aren't they? Yeah. So that's awesome. And so that's basically the species. But with a little explanation on apes, as I mentioned. Everyone knows what a mutant robot or a human clone is, but... Why are apes so heavily featured? Well, essentially, scientists boosted ape intelligence to normal human levels, and now Megacity has a prominent gorilla-slash-chimp gang presence. Brilliant. <laughs> so that's the explanation. It's basically Planet of the Apes, <laughs> which is awesome. So if you wanted to play a Planet of the Apes-style game... That's really cool. So scientists made them more intelligent, and then it got to a point where they kind of started their own society. Now there's, like, gorilla mob bosses. <laughs> nice. So you'll walk into a, you might walk into a bar, and there'll be a big gorilla sitting in the corner smoking a cigar. Smoking and a, a cigar of a whiskey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they look badass as well, yeah. actually, if you've seen the artwork. Yeah. So now you have to kind of pick your hook. This is where the character creation gets a bit fucking convoluted. Because right. it tells you... Or if you look at the list of stuff you've got to do now you pick your hook which is mad because yeah. you kind of have to add so much to it later it ain't worth writing it in at this point right but the hook is basically a simple paragraph written about your character for a little framework for example you could say Dirk Slazenger is a male judge who grew up as part of a chimp gang abandoned by his parents he grew up brainwashed to think he was a primate his early job was a boinger for a local basketball team boinger yeah <laughs> so that's kind of that's kind of the thing you have to write a short blurb and it has to be based on what's on your sheet I see yep. so that you can easily explain it Connect when you get dots. to the game yeah so let's take a look at careers. A grade five character can pick five, providing they hit the prerequisites. Then you apply any attribute adjustments that career gives you. So that's where, you know, you started with three and everything. Yep. 
you get your bonuses for having a species, then you get a bonus for which career you pick, right. which is pretty cool. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you apply any attribute adjustments. It gives you pick two of the skills. It gives you an advance each of those skills by one. And, and then also you get a career exploit. Yeah, There's okay. a big list of them depending yeah. on which career you've picked, and you pick one. If you take like another rank in it, you you, you know you do all the same shit again. Nice. Um, so I've already mentioned Boinger. So let's let's get into what like a career actually is, what it looks like. Yeah. Well, Boing is a spray that encases your body in rubber. Then you play something called Palais de Boing, <laughs> and you could be a human pinball essentially. <laughs> yeah. If you choose that career, you'll enjoy plus one agility, plus one endurance, plus one luck, and plus one reputation. Nice. And then the skills you can choose are Boinging, bravery, <laughs> jumping, or perception. So that's kind of it. Then you yeah. pick the exploit. That's kind of how it works. Yeah. So uh, just to give a couple more examples, you've got a psyker, a person with psionic abilities. You get a plus one to intelligence, luck, reputation, and psi, and the skill choices are bluffing, concentration, hypnotism, meditation, and negotiation. Yeah, like it. Or what about gamer? We've already mentioned that one. Yeah. You can pick from the group of skills that fall under the umbrella of gaming, which is really broad. Because yeah. it can be anything from a League of Legends champion, a StarCraft player, to something like chess or poker. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They all come under gaming. Yeah. But careers in this game aren't necessarily all careers in the traditional sense. As I mentioned, they can simply represent your character's hobbies. So anyway, every time you pick a career, you gain the exploit, as I mentioned. So the gamer one on the surface might seem useless. You're just good at playing games. However, you can also get a, a choice of four exploits when you take it. So, for example, you get cheat. You know a couple of tricks. In a game of chance, you may re-roll any ones in your dice pool. Ooh, so that's, that's pretty decent, yeah. Yeah, particularly good for gambling. Yeah, absolutely. So there's Loan Shark as well. That comes that, That's an exploit from gaming as well. Okay. You, you know a guy from gambling circles who can get you quick money if you need decent. it. Decent. So if you if you just need like 60 bucks to, to, to be able to afford a gun or whatever, yeah, yeah. there you go. In a, in a pinch, I like it. But let's talk about judge careers. Because the judges have sp- uh, special... Needs no, they have, <laughs> they have they have special careers that within, only within the judge that only they can take. Thing. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is it works kind of differently. So, okay, um, if you play a judge, well, that's that is a career rather than a hobby. So you yeah. get access to judge only careers, and judges have to take the origin career cadet. They have to, oh, of course, because yeah. that represents their early training. Yep, and then they have to also take two Academy of Law advanced programs. So that's three of your careers already used right, that. Right, okay. It, it kind of represents that outside of judging, you don't have that much time to do much. It no. also represents the intense training needed. Yep. So um, that's essentially it. And these things, like the, the applied judge programs, can be things like applied violence, <laughs> advanced driving school, yep. citizen manipulation, Brilliant. or hot dog run. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> the hot dog run is, is basically where fledgling judges are like tested on their skills by being sent out into the wastelands to do a mission you can tell this is British can't you, you really the words can. they use and stuff and the names for stuff it's very it's because <laughs> we in England we give nicknames to everything everything like yeah. even even when you have like uh, you know eggs on toast or whatever yeah. like like you, you have eggy in a basket and things like this <laughs> like in the basket. <laughs> yeah, so the hot dog run is is that essentially. Um, but while you're doing it, two senior judges are watching over you while Ooh. you're in the late wasteland. So they'll stand there. If you die, you just die. Fail! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just stamp an F on your head. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, once a judge goes up in grade, they then can pick, like, they've they've advanced in rank essentially. Okay, and they can yep. kind of pick more advanced careers. They're not a rookie anymore then. Exactly. So yep. it represents you working your way up. Yeah. And those advanced careers are also you know equally crazy yeah um so that's that's them going up through the ranks judges aren't the only ones that get specific careers though criminals do too Wicked. if you play a perp 
So there's a load of those. But if we go on about careers all day, there's so many in the book. Yeah. We'll be here it's till... Big old book. We'll be here till t- 2000... No, 2099. 2099, hey! I fucked that joke up. <laughs> <laughs> right, so now before we carry on with the book, we're just going to take a quick break and have a message from our sponsor. Ooh. You betray the law! So the sponsor for this week's episode... Is 3T Publishing. <laughs> yep, yeah, 3T Publishing. A bu- bunch of great guys. Great guys up there. Thanks very much for all the free stuff. We'll keep, we'll keep this quick. Essentially, we've written a toolbox for OSR games that allows you to have random events in a town using the meanings of tarot cards. Absolutely. And they're absolutely nuts. The book is only £1.50 on RPG. And if you're the type of person that feels like they don't want to donate on Patreon because it's too much of a commitment, you can support the show by buying that book. Yeah, and absolutely. We'll hope you like it. And too. please let us know how you find it because we'd love to hear a little bit. We've had a little bit of feedback come back it's good so far which we're really pleased about but yeah if you get it and wouldn't mind sending us an email please let us know how you find it because yeah market research is always good we love the feedback <laughs> yeah, yeah we love it um additionally the boss of this network jamie pearson has yeah, the been big boss pre- man. he's been pretty angry recently because nobody has been shouting out other shows on the network we what? haven't done it for about a year i'm so joking i just want to say uh let's go watch the murder hobo show on youtube it's fantastic um it's gary doing tutorials on uh, virtual tabletop so well worth a watch. And Absolutely, they're they're probably the best tutorials that exist out there for. Also, it at the check out Finding the Narrative podcast. I haven't listened to that one, but I assume it's. I've met the guys that did it, and they <laughs> were really good. nice. So if, if their podcast is as good as they are nice, yeah, get over to Nerd International. Nerd, Nerd International. Go over to Nerds International and check all of those shows out. Yes. Right. Enough of that shite. Let's get back on with the episode. <laughs> Where's the dagger? It's right here. It's right here. It's right here. Give me the dagger. Thank you. So we've mentioned exploits a lot, like these are kind of like advantages or edges, you know, that type of thing. Now, there are some universal exploits. Let's say, for example, you take a career and you don't like the exploits that it comes with. Yeah. You just want the career for the flavor and the stat upgrades. Well, you can choose a universal exploit instead. Ah. And these are just normal ones, you know, there's bloody loads of them. These can be purchased either when your character levels up or instead of a career exploit, basically. Some universal exploits include blind shot, where you need five luck to qualify for it. But what this means is while in full cover, you can take a shot without looking at what you're shooting. You just roll luck instead of agility plus no. shooting. So you're just you're just wild firing <laughs> so over the top of cover. Over, putting the gun over and just shooting. Yeah, and you and you can actually that's actually like a legit strategy. Well it's clever that it needs five luck because it totally makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And another example is a lucky escape. Once a day you can avoid damage from a single attack. Ooh. Really, really powerful. But you do need eight strength to buy it. Why? So you're kind of just a real tough you guy. You suck it up. Yeah, so you just get shot once and you just go, try it again. <laughs> yeah. Said only got pussies. But don't, because I can only do that once. And he runs <laughs> off. And then he runs. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, with that out of the way, the next thing is to ter- determine your character's age. Next to each career, there's a number of years. So, for example, uh, most of them are 1d6 years. So okay. you might take, yeah, Boinger, and then you roll 1d6. And that's how you determine your character's Four years. age. Got means yeah. you can add. It means you can end up with really young characters or really old. And yep. if you're old, you do get certain benefits and things like that. Mm-hmm. But once you've chosen the age, you have to add it to your hook. This is why I said earlier, don't write the hook at the beginning. Do it at the end. Yeah, follow my advice. Do it at the end. Yeah. Now you have to choose two traits based on your highest and lowest attributes. Things like egotistical, distracted, disfigured, lame, inspiring, things like that. See, yep. some good, some bad. Then you add those to your descriptor also. Then you determine your derived stats from your other stats. There's health, speed, carry, initiative, defense, mental defense, and vital defense. Vital defense. So for health, you roll endurance and will dice pools and add them together. Okay. Bingo, that's your health. Stre- uh, speed is equal to your strength and agility dice pool and 
that's it and Makes so sense. on yeah. so you just do all of those okay now you record your dice pools so the thing is as i said before the dice pools aren't determined on the number they're determined kind of like you get a number of dice based on the number it's not the number equals the amount of no, dice no that's you right have. i see what you mean yeah. so it's catchment do... kind of windows for how many dice you roll exactly and to make it easy so you don't have to figure it out every single time mm-hmm. you just record all your dice rolls next oh, yeah. to the skills and stuff like this and it tells you you know exactly yeah. how many to pick up straight away it's got a GURPSY vibe, doesn't it, this it, character it creation? Has, it reminds me a little bit of um, Fusion as well. Yeah, I But Fusion, right, yeah. obviously, ended up being quite a bad system because it had a lot of god stats in there. But yeah. this one kind of... It, it reminds me a lot of Shadowrun too. Yeah, the yeah, way Because yeah. character creation in that was quite involved. Streamlined, but also quite I involved. like it, though. I do like, I do like depth in character creation if the kind of subject's got a lot of depth. If it's worth it. Like, yeah. look at GURPS. I mean, we haven't played that nearly as much as we'd like, but oh, that man. character creation... It, it, you you are going to spend an hour on it absolutely and there's, no, there's no two ways about it oh, I enjoyed it I, I enjoyed it, really it too yeah. and, and when you get into the game mm-hmm. it plays smoothly absolutely. because everything's already done you've calculated everything you've yeah. done everything yeah and yeah I absolutely don't mind depth and character creation it, it, I have to be in the mood for it yeah it's absolutely. absolutely fine so this might with this game then you put a little bit of hard work in at the beginning hopefully and then, in, and then once the actual game kicks off it should be a lot smoother well we'll get to that because <laughs> honestly it is it is kind of like that, okay. but not to spoil the rest of the podcast. But yeah, we'll see. Next, you determine your starting money, and it's different for judges. They roll the same thing, but it's treated more like requisition points. Okay. So the thing is, is that while let's say for example, let's say for example, you create a perp, mm-hmm. then what you do is you roll starting money. That's your starting money. Yeah. Judges, um, they roll their starting money, and then every time they go out on a mission, that's how much they've got to spend on equipment. Ah, uh, right. It yep. represents the fact that in the comics and the movies, uh, judges have essentially infinite uh, access to equipment and yep. this kind of explains it and makes it more gamey mm-hmm. gotcha um, so yeah that's kind of what you do and then you just buy stuff yeah. so after that uh, after you've done that you note down your attacks so it's attribute plus skill plus equipment roll note all those down but hang on we haven't bought equipment so do that <laughs> record your attacks and then you've got a character right and we're done okay. so yes it is a bit more involved but the thing is if, if if listeners I hope that you were kind of you know keeping up with that but essentially there's there's a little breakdown at the front of the book that tells you what to do and it is one of those types of games where you have to flip between pages constantly a bit sure. like when in GURPS Pathfinder yeah, yeah. Uh, D&D there's just a lot there's, There's a lot, a lot in there. So. Well, I would recommend, yeah, do a session zero yeah, properly totally. with us and we everyone sit that. down and then, you know, make your backstories and stuff and just sit down and create a character. Just be aware that you're in for a good hour. And but do we like doing that. End. We like creating a good deep character and this allows that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And do the hook at the end, not halfway through. Like exactly. Says. <laughs> um, yeah, because that's weird, isn't it? Because, it, like, you might have a kind of idea in your head and then all of a sudden oh oh that was actually 75 years old so that throws that one out the window <laughs> i do like that because yeah. there's 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 that one element of randomness yeah that's cool. so i do like that um but that is essentially the whole of character creation unless you've got a psionic person oh okay you see when choosing any career if you don't like the exploits it gives you as i said you can choose a universal one but a psionic universal exploits are many pages later not in the exploits section which is the one thing i didn't particularly like about the character creation because you might have chosen all your psionic yeah. careers yeah. chosen all those exploits and get to there and go oh fuck there's, there's this better one yeah oh. so just bear that in mind yeah. if you play the game basically um yeah, and so you can quickly swap them around if you want, and now you have a character. With that, we'll get to equipment and how, how to play the game, but that's the character creation process. So obviously this system is a little bit different. So how do you level up or advance characters? You gain new careers by just buggering off. You can do that. So 1d6 years for most. So let's say one session all the players agree to take a year off where well, they can do it, and it is, is exploitable, but 
it means that the game master should attempt to make adventures which are time sensitive. Okay, yeah. Because if if the players go, yeah, we've got enough time to do this. Let's take a year off, get a new career. We're gonna have a year off, so right? or, or up to six years, yeah. and then you just come back. This should be the kind of thing that's done at the end of a big adventure. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah, or, totally. And make it time After sensitive. After they're battered and would need to take rest anyway. Yeah, I mean, we did the same thing in Vampire, where yeah. people took a year off while somebody was uh, in, oh, a, in a coffin. Yeah, they, they, I forget what you call it, but oh, when, instead of dying, now. you go into the coffin for a number of. Yeah, years. that's right. I forget what it's called. Um, yeah, you also earn experience points, obviously, but you get them for overcoming challenges, killing enemies, or getting to certain milestones. You can spend them on new career grades at 10 times the amount of a new grade, so essentially a grade 2 is 20 XP. Yeah. And XP is awarded for a number of reasons, as I mentioned. For overcoming a challenge, there's a table that helps the GM award XP based on the difficulty of the challenge. Or if the players have done a lot of research and planning, they also may gain XP. This actually gives XP for planning. Excellent. So that's awesome. So you you can, and I think that's that's legit, right? Because if you're doing a heist, yeah. if you're playing a perp game, yeah. and you spend all day planning, well, of course you'll get some experience in planning. So you can get XP for that, which I think is great for those players that like to plan. Oh, I love a plan session as well. Like you know, when you've got like a big mission, a big master plan that needs to go off, and sometimes you might spend half a session like you know planning it super uh, super finely, make sure nothing goes off of a hitch, and for that you get rewarded. So that's nice. Same here. Yeah, I like that, and it it, it rewards a type of play that often goes unrewarded. Excellent. Honestly. That's really good. Yeah. Um. So and the last one, obviously, as I mentioned, is completing a milestone. That's basically ba- a major storyline completion. And, okay. Yeah, you get and you can use these points to enhance attributes also, which is cool. Yeah. So the next section of the book is equipment. There's a handy table for example salaries that people may get for their jobs, a big load of explanation, and then we're off to the races. The weapons all have a damage measured in amount of D6s, sometimes with a bonus like 2D6 plus 1, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And you have things like laser knives, swords, energy nets, grapple guns, laser cannons, and electro beams. Oh, yeah. When I when I imagine electro beam, I imagined it playing electro music out of it, like the big beam of it. Oh, <laughs> and it shoots. Yeah, yeah. So it, they they're all pretty cool. And yeah. armor, the way it works in this, has a soak value. So it basically soaks up damage. Okay. Judge uniform, for example, has five. So the first five points of damage do nothing. And they have to hit over, so they might have to get ten to actually hit you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, they they basically they if they get a successful hit, they roll damage, and then your armor soaks some. Of them. Oh, so if you hit for ten, they're only getting five damage because exactly. the armor soaks five. Yeah. Got ya. So, uh, whereas a Radarak, which is a radiation-proof anorak with, <laughs> with soak one, so yep. it only soaks one damage when you get hit, but it, has f- it soaks five points of radiation damage. Base damage, right. That's yeah, really so cool. So if a mutant chanders on you, yeah. it'll soak five <laughs> You're back. laughing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in the equipment section, obviously there's all types of equipments too. There's back glider suit boing cutters. This is for safely removing boing from an encased boinger. <laughs> and of course, boing spray for applying boing. Boing. And that is the most I've ever said boing in a single day before. <laughs> There's the Hollow Guys, a holographic disguise kit, or how about the Psy Scram helmet, which boosts your mental defense against Psy attacks. Nice. So they try to get in all they hear is static. Needles to say, the equipment is awesome. And there's some decent robust rules for customizing gear too, like adding scopes to guns, adding chameleon effects to armor. Ooh. And there's also really cool drugs. <laughs> Not that drugs are cool. No. They're not cool, they're but not these cool. ones are cool. Stay in they're fictional. You stay in school, don't do fictional drugs. <laughs> Boosters, for example, are low-level street drugs that boost strength or stamina. But there's appetite inducers, amnesia drugs, tranquilizers, truth drugs, and lastly, ziz, Ooh. a recreational hallucinogenic. Why the reason I included as as like one of my highlights appetite inducers yeah. is because I'm trying to figure out a use for those. But I like those type of items that exist 
in a world and then players will find a use for oh, it. Oh yeah, totally. They'll always find a use for it. This is why sometimes in loot when you're playing a fantasy game include some just mundane stuff. Weird shit. They'll yeah. find the use for it. Yeah, they'll and use it. Yeah. Appetite inducers. I can't figure a way to use them but I think that's a there really cool idea. could be some type of mission where they've got a, you know, it could be an, ass- uh, uh, an assassination. So could- if you poison some food and then you give them an appetite inducer they'll be, they'll, you know, they're going to eat it. Oh, yeah, good idea. <laughs> there good go, idea. Done. There you go, you've done it. Administered. <laughs> yeah, or it could be an eating competition and you're illegally <laughs> you using it. You want to win. <laughs> yeah, it's like doping. Yes. <laughs> Wicked. And there's also cyberware. Yes. So I knew that was your next question. Of where's course. the cyberware? Where's, so, where's my cyberware? <laughs> uh, okay, so you can get artificial limbs with claws. You know, every every fucking game with cyberware has to have the Wolverine claws. Of course. But um, retinal implants, hello. Voice <laughs> synthesizer, yes, please. <laughs> Basically, most of the ones you'd expect to find can be found, but it's by no means an extensive list. Okay. But it's all the ones you would expect from cyberware. Your staples. Yeah, yeah. your staples. It's mm-hmm. all there. And, you know, voice synthesizers are always fun. Yeah, of course. If you want to be a Batman-type character. (laughs) (laughs) Vehicles, as you can imagine, are cool too. The Justice Department includes one called the Killdozer. (laughs) And I had to read up on this one because I was like, is it like that real one? Do you remember that? Where the guy encased a fucking um, bulldozer in concrete and killed his... Killed? No, he destroyed his old place of work and did £13 million of damage. I think I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not quite like that. It's it's basically a bulldozer fitted with rocket launchers. (laughs) (laughs) A bit better. If that guy had the rocket launchers, he would have used them. Yeah, that's true. And there's the Manta Prowl tank, which fans of the series will immediately recognise. It's a huge tank with the classic red and black aesthetic. It has a huge crew of 18 people and it's got stun gas, riot foam, heavy laser cannons. This is your... uh, yeah, if, if the city's rioting, you bring one of these. You bring out. one of them out. Don't and you? when people and if people aren't uh, playing ball, it's when you use the laser cannon. You yep. got, you're, you're switching off the foam. You're going to the laser cannon. <laughs> Civilian ones include normal stuff: automobiles, power boards, juggers. You know, normal stuff. Oh, of course, yeah. Juggers are basically often driverless trucks, so right. you can use these to send packages, or you can drive in them yourself. Power boards are sky surfing devices. You stand on it, and using anti-grav technology, you fly about. Oh, I would like think back to the future. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so vehicles are cool. There's a big table of them, and they're all brilliant. Wicked. But we've been through everything the game has to offer, but haven't even touched on how it plays. That's because now the book is where it gets to that. Mm-hmm. We've seen an example of play, but don't actually know about the nitty-gritty. So let's give a little example here. First up is attribute checks. Let's say the GM wants you to drive a car. Well, then you roll agility plus, plus driving. Yep. Simple. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you want to make a speech to your subordinates, charisma plus leadership. Ah, uh, I see. Yep. Add together the pools from both things, roll and see if you beat the target number made by the GM. The book gives the example that challenging is a, is a difficulty score of 13. So that should be associated with something like moving a boulder. Okay. That's exactly oh, right. what, what the book says. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's how difficult that is. Easy is a 7. Superhuman is a 37. Oh, yeah, gotcha. And in, in this, you roll a dice pool. But mm-hmm. it's not like Shadowrun where you're looking for certain numbers, like okay. fives and sixes, yep. uh, or Vampire where you're doing the same thing. In this, you just add it all together. Oh, I see. And it's a grand total. Yes. So this is where if you've got really big dice pools, dice rolling apps may come in handy. Yes. If you don't a, want to sit there adding all of them That's a good point, up. yeah. Yeah. So a crit is when a triple six is rolled. So you can roll seven dice as long as you've got three sixes that's in there. That's a crit. I think, I think that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. So don't enough. quote me on that. Yeah. But, um, of course, there, there's extended tasks, rolling as a group, helping another person out. But that's all kind of the basic way the game is played. Yeah, cool. The other thing I should note is your dice pool has a maximum that's okay. based on your grade. So if you have six in agility, six in driving, well, it don't matter. You or you roll five. Okay. So that, that sort of caps your dice rolls. I see. Uh, if you're grade 10, you can roll up to 10 dice on any roll. Yeah, I see. 
and that's it so um, mm. with that let's get into combat oh, yeah. so I'll just go through like a basic turn order and it's really simple stuff um, first you, everyone rolls their initiative to determine what order you go then you do that just by rolling intuition on, on a tie compare agility then everyone acts on their turn you get two actions so you can take two moves two shootings a move and fire whatever <laughs> move, move and fire, and fire. <laughs> for the Alan Partridge fans out there. <laughs> then once you're done, you do it all again. You roll melee attacks by comparing strength to or, or agility with an appropriate skill against the target's melee defense. And then for ranged attacks, it's agility or intelligence plus appropriate skill versus their ranged defense. I see, yeah. One thing I didn't mention about character creation is aiming and fainting. Ooh. You pick the aim or faint maneuver, that's F-E-I-N-T, at character creation. It takes an action, not a turn, and you can aim your weapon or faint and get an opening on another character. Ooh. Then you gain a plus one D6 to an attack roll. That's pretty cool. So aiming's for guns, fainting is for... Fighting. Fighting. Yeah. yeah. No, Probably to move in. Yeah, so on a turn, if you, if you uh, considering you can take two actions, you can aim and fire in one turn. <laughs> or if you're feeling a bit more lucky, you can go two fires and do a double tap. Like it. Yeah. Like it. Um, and there's a manoeuvre called Overwatch. Anyone can do this. So basically, you ready a weapon and fire on anyone who enters your line of sight. This will usually be someone who decides to leave cover. They have ah. to have left cover completely, yep. and you have to have taken the Overwatch action. So you're on Overwatch. You're on Overwatch, yeah. Exactly. That's really cool. That's I like that. Yeah, it's brilliant. It yeah. really makes for dynamic, cool gunfights. Yeah. Like, people don't want to leave cover, but if, if their mate's down and they have to, they yeah, can yeah, take yeah. the risk of being overwatched. That's wicked. I like that. Yeah, so, um, this is, as I say, it's usually when somebody decides to leave cover and mm -hmm. run across the battlefield or charge towards you, and you can overwatch against a number of targets equal to your intuition score in any turn. Ooh. So, throughout that turn, until your next turn, if you've got an intuition score of four you can take that action on four people, an attack of opportunity. Yeah. Nice. So it means that the, the, the no man's land in a battlefield is a deadly area. Yeah, you don't want to be cool. in there. You could have some really cool battles, like standoffs and stuff. It's like a that. really, really clever mechanic and yeah. very cinematic. Can you I imagine think being out in an old grimy city down an alleyway and you've got like a standoff between two gangs or judges and perps. Exactly. And you know that on. if you move out, you might risk being shot hit by the overwatch. Yeah. yeah, that's sick. And you could also use suppressive fire, which is awesome. Ooh. You can designate one teammate and keep them safe with cover fire. In doing so, they gain the bonus of cover even if they aren't in ah, it. So nice. essentially, if you know that they're overwatching or if you have the suspicion that they're overwatching, use some suppressive fire, yep. then they don't count as being out of cover. So they can easily leg it across the battlefield while you're just popping Because you're shots. too busy shooting at the overwatch guy who's trying to find you. So the guy who's in cover can run it without being shot at. I love it. That's quite yeah. tactical. It's clever. Really brilliant. Yeah. Really, really brilliant. And now... One important thing is your luck score. You can spend dice from that pool on rolls. So let's say you've got a luck of five. Um, you can d spend one of those dice on any roll. And if you have three luck, by all means, spend it on a single important roll. If that roll is really important, spend all three on that one yeah, roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as it doesn't take you over your maximum, you know, your grade maximum. Mm-hmm. So that's about the basics of the game. Um, I can't remember when you recover luck, and I can't be bothered to look it up. But um, I know that you do. I, oh no, it's every day, every day. Oh, so new day. Yeah, what, so resets, you, or you get a certain. You do a roll, whatever. It's a new game day, so gotcha. you get all of them back. And, oh, okay, that's pretty But cool. the thing is, is that that may lead to characters waiting until the other the next day. But remember, yeah. time sensitive mission. I think that's a big mission, thing you yeah. need to do in this. So in it this. might even be good to uh, you know the old the old terrifying GM tactic that you like when you bang a timer on the table. 
for Absolutely. no reason. <laughs> get, get, a, get a damn timer. Get a timer out. Yeah, because often I do that in dungeons, right? Yeah. So yeah. I might say, uh, I might put a timer down where you guys have some intuition. Uh-oh, something's going to happen. Well, that's all we know. You never tell us why. It'll just be a 30-minute timer goes down. And you're like, right, well. Yeah, so <laughs> like in, in uh, Death Frost Doom, for example, I put yeah. a timer down. And then it was oh, every ten, every half an hour, a skull would fall down. That's and it, you yeah. knew something bad would happen at oh, the end of that. Mate. But it, mate, it, does, it, does, it does give a kind of feeling of urgency to the party. And especially if a game like this where you there are kind not exploits but you know you just got to think what game you're running you just got to think yeah think what game you're running that's yeah. exactly right because the thing is it's a very very robust game and mm-hmm. it clearly does what it does really well like the just the basics of a shooting a shootout in this game is just insane oh mate it sounds so really fun that's basically it for the whole game and the one last thing to mention is the presentation which is probably the nicest book i've ever seen yeah it's incredible it's, it's if in you're a fan of, old school fan yeah, if you like the old comics, in terms of sticking to the trade dress of the original comics, I don't think anyone's done it better. No, I they've think that's nailed because, it. Well, as is because as we know, it's published by 2000 AD. Yeah. So whoever who, they know their material oh, because man. they are their because material. Because it is theirs. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's it's um I, I think it's a, it's a must if you're if you if you are a Judge Dredd fan. You will not be disappointed with this. Even just a read through, like yeah. I I used to read Judge Dredd as a kid. Like I don't remember it that much nowadays. I I I've read. You know the most minimal amount of, of 2080, but going back and diving in, seeing how the equipment works, how oh, the power mate. stacks yeah. up to, to other things, the descriptions. It's such a fun read. Mate. I used to read. I didn't read so much Judge Dread. Rye was a big Judge Dread fan, but I liked um, ABC Warriors, which is from the same world. I yes. used to read a lot of that, and that was really cool. It's it, like a medieval in, sci-fi. It was excellent. It mentions it in that in that book. You know, so, if I remember rightly, ABC Warriors. If I remember right, one of the main guys almost looked like Conan, but he was beating up robots with his sword. Do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, and there's Slain as well, which is which is like a barbarian type thing. Yeah, but. The, but I, I can't remember the description, but I think shit travels through time and stuff yeah, like exactly. this. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's cracking. It's, yeah, it's so, so good. It's it's, so, it's such a great product. But there was something because you kickstarted it, didn't you? So what, what did, did you get in the Kickstarter package? It was nice. It was good actually. So with the Kickstarter package, we got the the core book hardback, full color. Um, we got a supplement which is the Robot Wars, and also I believe there was a token set. A, a GM screen and something else I can't remember but man that GM screen it's got the GM proper comic really book nice. font yeah. on the back like it's so nice it's man it's really cool mm. but the Robot Wars wicked so the Robot Wars is just a supplement it's uh, it's pretty thick to be fair it's about 100 pages so yeah. is Robot Wars a, a different setting or is it a no, setting within Judge Dredd it happens within Judge Dredd and it's actually something that's part of the timeline so basically as, you, as I'm sure you're aware from reading the core book um, robots are treated like sub subhumans mm-hmm. people they, they are uh, so you, we, because life's so hard in Mega City One, um, and people are angry that the robots have taken all their jobs, but mm-hmm. at the same time they're too lazy to do the jobs of the robots, so they take out their frustration on robots. No one would butt an eyelid if, um, you know, there was a Coke machine that, that that someone just smashed the crap out of because they can, and that's how cute robots are treated, sadly. And something happens, and there's a rebellion and an uprising, uh, and the, and you get the rise of Call Me Kenneth. And Call Me Kenneth is a robot that basically rebels and um, raises an army. And there's a huge, uh, basically, uh, war in Mega City 1 between the judges and the robots. And you have some robots that stay loyal to the humans. You have other robots that um, go over to, obviously, the the, the robot side, the insurgency. And then there's this huge war. And, yeah, it's nuts. And it tells you the whole timeline, um, goes into great detail. It shows you all different types of robots in there. there's there's like um movements some for like robots rights and stuff oh, some against cool, robots yeah. you've got political kind of stances on the whole situation you can kind of tell like the the because cyberpunk and and futuristic stuff like this tends to highlight um 
faults with today's society. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. can tell how British this is. Oh, I'm not, I'm no. not really going to go into it, but the robot wars thing really reminds me of a lot of things that go on in this country. Absolutely like, and right. And it's, 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 that's what I like about it. If you want something with unique flavour, you're unlikely to find anything um, like 2000 AD because nah. it's so uniquely British. It really is. Look at Krong. Krong's a gi- so Krong is a giant anatomical um, gorilla that was used in uh, basically making King Kong films. But he's actually a character in it as part oh, of the so robot he, wars. So he got upset and he was yeah. being pushed around. <laughs> yeah. That's epic, man. So, but, but it's very British, very grim, very gritty. Yeah. It's pretty fantastic, really. I can't wait to play it. Yeah. I, you know, as, as I was reading it, one of the things like that I was thinking was, because of how simple, great the system is to run... Mm-hmm. I just I couldn't wait to actually run it. Yeah, which yeah. I know it's your game, but no, like, please I'm do. I'd love you to run it. I'm definitely going to buy a copy of this Why and run don't a game. You do a one shot for us. I'll do it Fuck as it. a out of nowhere surprise the group. Just be like, it's Judge Dredd. We're playing Judge Dredd tonight. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe the characters in our fantasy. Ryan would shit into... his pants. If oh, he would love it. Him. Yeah, uh, I think everyone should go out and give that a buy because it looks fantastic. I, I think you can get hold of it now because they were very very um, in the whole campaign for the Kickstarter. They was like very much saying like as soon as this launches, it's all ready to go. So I think they used the Kickstarter to more raise awareness because the product was ready as yeah. far as I'm yeah, aware. Yeah, yeah. And they they got they basically sold it was to sell the original copies yep. and then to get the word out there and, and hopefully it's working because this looks fantastic really and does. I really really want it to be supported so that they release the Halo Jones I was about one. to say you're going to get the, you're going to want the Halo Jones that's, the, for, that's the fucking shit man it's so funny it's so good um, oh and check out the Strontium Dog fan movie if you haven't on YouTube it's fantastic yeah that got sent to me by Mornay of Just Insert Imagination and it, it he's he's a massive Strontium Dog fan right and that's like it's kind of it's got a very Judge Dredd type aesthetic but it's like a post-apocalyptic and it's more about in the wasteland it's fantastic well yeah, good it's very good anyway so that's uh, Judge Dredd the role playing tabletop adventure game RPG 2000 or AD worlds <laughs> go out and get yeah. it go out and get it and if you don't if you've never ever ever even heard of Judge Dredd where uh, how have you been uh, but if you haven't heard of Judge Dredd do yourself a favour do not watch the 1995 <laughs> Sylvester Stallone movie go and check out the 2012 Keith Urban playing Judge Dredd movie it's way more true to the source material and the main thing is he don't take his helmet off it's funny that you say that because you know I obviously watched the Stallone one when I was a kid <laughs> yeah. right and I was big into Judge Dredd at the time. Like I, I, re- I read them all because yeah. my mum worked in the library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I remember at the time loving it, but yeah. I think I was just a kid with like you know. And it was I, sly. I, he was in all the action films. So you were like Ugh. exactly. Like, I would no, just watched anything with Judge, even if it was like the worst produced thing. I used to watch the fucking um, Adam West Batman. <laughs> oh my, yeah, but so <laughs> but no, but it's basically nothing because I wasn't a big, big Dredd fan. And at the time, I probably liked uh, you know enjoyed the film. And then I remember I might have even been right. I go, no, it's rubbish. He takes his helmet off, and I'm like, what do you mean? It's like Judge Dredd never takes his helmet off. That's and a good it's point. Like, oh yeah, and then you watch the 2012 one, and he never takes his helmet off. Yeah. So yeah, go check out 2012 one. It's fantastic. If you like the raid you'll love that <laughs> it's the same yeah. film <laughs> yeah the raid was pretty enjoyable yeah it's pretty much the same film all right anyway we're getting off topic let's let's dive into a new segment yeah draw your weapon make it as smooth as you possibly can so draw hold fix and fire and then just move and fire and move and fire and- so the family emergency that i mentioned earlier was kind of like my my wife's been in hospital recently i won't go into any more detail than that but to celebrate her return, I thought I'd include her in a segment. You know, use her for cheap labour. There you go. So this is wife eye signal. And essentially yeah. what it is, is that my wife has looked at the covers of role-playing games. Yeah. And you have to get which one they were, they are from her description. Okay. So she, uh, I did say the caveat is they, she's only got 30 seconds for each one. Yeah. And she can't say the name, obviously. Okay. So here we go. Here's the first one. There's a face 
of a man that looks like a meme about to get attacked by an ogre with a mohawk of a two-tone variety. He has a mace. There's a lizard with an erect tongue getting slashed in the throat by a little troll man with an orange mohawk with a tattooed head. What's that then? Nah, that's Warhammer. Yes, well done. Well done. Did you get it from the meme face? Yeah. There's that guy. There's that guy on the cover of the Warhammer First Edition where he looks like he is. He's being choked by like a big ogre, but he looks like he's loving. Really it. enjoying. He's, it. He's, he's, that's his thing. And that's he where he looks a lot like our mate James. He really does look like James. All right, next. Whoa. All right, next one. It's mainly blue seascape with indigo tones at the top, mountains, and what look like conifer type trees but they can't be because they must be in the sea and there's a tiny little boat that's the next one tiny little boat tiny little boat uh 50 fathoms no you're wrong uh. that was call of cthulhu and really what one yeah, it's a sixth edition it's the one oh yeah that one's really good see that's that, got the best cover it has got the best cover yeah yeah i, I knew that would be difficult because you've got seventh seven editions, yeah. so yeah you'd be Dumbly more used there. to yeah all right next one go on hmm There's a man shooting a gun with his left hand and with his right hand he has a sword. This wouldn't work. He's holding a crucifix on a string and he looks like he should be in the crucible. And there are some ghoul type things looking angry. Ghoul type things. Um, that is Simon K. Yeah, well done. Well done. Uh, you clearly know your stuff. Man, oh yeah. Yeah, that was. She as soon as she looked at it, she just looked at it with like this puzzled look because she was just like, without well, his fighting stance, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Yeah. Anyway, next one. There's some sexual tension in this picture. She's a sexy spaceman with a gun, space lady with a gun, and holding her helmet, and he is. He looks like he should be an alien versus predator. He's got some funky furry boots and a double-headed axe and a sword on his back. And there's three different landscape images in the background. That's it. That is, that's easy, that is Savage Worlds Deluxe Edition. Very good, man. Yeah. Very good. Maybe I went too easy on this one. Yeah, well, yeah, you went for the, you went for the common ones. Yeah, the I did. I, you should have gone for the ones I don't own. Well, that's why you done me. With, with, that, with well, that's it, otherwise, otherwise, you just wouldn't have got them. No, that's true. Right, let's take one at random, for example. Look at this one. Imagine trying to describe GURPS Cyberpunk. <laughs> it's, it's got just a like an egghead man on the front. It's a big blue head with loads of wires sticking out of it. And on but, the front, actually, this is a side note, but it does say, the book that was seized by the US Secret Service. Yeah, because he because he was doing so much research into Illuminati shit for the book. They were like, "Hello." Yeah, they 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 thought he was a spy. <laughs> the old FBI called up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next one. Let's go to the last one. Okay, let's go. There's a door with a face. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just and there's a figure standing at the top of some steps, and there's a gap between him and the door, and the door looks like. A stone robotic type thing. BCC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was I funny. can never forget Doorface. Yeah, because she, she, she started laughing because she said she was reminded of that video I made where I made it talk. <laughs> yeah, that was cracking me up. All right, so I like that. Wife Eye Signal, you got four out of five. Yay. Well done. That's the first time I've ever That's managed to keep ba- track of the yeah. score. Yeah. I've got some points there. Well done. Excellent. You know what points mean? Fuck all. Fuck all. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm attacking the darkness. Yeah, I feel very attacked. 
Right, so this is a, another Judge Dredd inspired quiz. Very straightforward. I'm going to read a quote to you and you need to tell me whether it's from the shit film or the good film. <laughs> That's fucking brilliant. All right, sweet. I'm in. Okay, so first one. Emotions. There ought to be a law against them. That's Stallone, man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's easy. The legendary angel family. Cursed earth pirates. Murderers. Scavengers. Oh, and of course, scumbags. That uh, sounds kind of cool. So I'm going to go with 2012 film. No, that was sly. Shit. <laughs> this isn't a negotiation. Is that it? <laughs> this is... Okay. Right. Just because of law of averages... I am going to go 2012 film. Yeah, well done. <laughs> I've got one. It's judgment time. Stallone. <laughs> no. Damn it. <laughs> Keith Urban. It's judgment time. Yep. Man, Att- <laughs> this game is going to be fun to play. Attempted murder of a judge. Sentence. Death. Stallone. No. <laughs> Fuck. I'm terrible at this. <laughs> gotcha. Um, next one. There's a maniac on the loose in the city. I'm going to go that, that might oh man these are hard I, I thought it was going to be like that. there's a maniac on the loose on the loose in the city and I'm looking at him and he's looking in a mirror or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh god alright uh, 2012 no 2095 oh my god I never broke the law I am the law Stallone yes <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think a bullet will hold on <laughs> I think a bullet will interfere with them Stallone no Oh god! Twelve. This is the hardest quiz ever known to man. And last and the last one. It's all a deep end. <laughs> that's classic, man. Uh, I think that's going to be Stallone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there you go. They're all pretty bad actually, because I, when I first thought of it, I thought, right, well, you know, I'm hoping there'll be some really snappy quotes from the new one because it's good, and some really bad quotes, but they're all quite shit. They're quite similar. Yeah, but then uh, uh, from what you said, the 2012 one seems like it just does the action and the world a bit better. Yeah, exactly. So the lines are always going to be cheesy. Yeah. It's Judge Dredd. Yeah, it's exactly. It's Judge Dredd, for Christ's sake. Yeah, very true. But it kind of reminds me, I don't know why, but you know when I think of Stallone, I always think of like all of the other action heroes like that, like uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and you know <laughs> yeah. Steven Seagal, right? Yeah. And it, it, for some reason, this is non-sequitur story, but I feel like the people of this podcast should know it. But cool. apparently... And there was an interview done a while ago with Steven Seagal, right? Yeah. And uh, and the interviewer said they set up an interview at a time while he was filming a film, and they were going into his trailer to interview him. When she came in, he was crying, right? And he was holding a script, and she says, "What's that?" And he goes, "It's the most beautiful thing I've ever read." And she goes, "Oh yeah, who wrote it?" And he goes, "I did." <laughs> <laughs> Mate, these that well, it's funny you should mention that because it does tie in quite nicely to what I was looking into. So I was looking doing a little bit of research into the old Sly film and the new Judge Dredd film. And apparently, when when Sly, uh, so the director of Judge Dredd, the original film, was in constant conflict with Sly because basically Sly read the script and saw it as a dark comedy and thought the whole film should be more funny and kept trying to rewrite the fucking script. So would that explain why his acting was? Quite, I mean, he's not a great actor anyway, but would that explain why his actors, acting is kind of bad in that movie? Yeah. Like, because he was going for laughs. He thinks he's being funny. I'd like to rewatch it with that in mind, actually. Yeah, watch it again. So, so he's idea. So clearly he didn't know anything about Judge Dredd until we read the script and just made his own decision and started fighting with the director. Watch the film. It's not, I mean, you know, I enjoyed it as a kid. And and I'll tell you what, I, the thing that stuck with me the most is the, the CGI for War Machine, if I remember rightly, or whatever he's called, that big robot thing was really good. Yeah, and there was a lot of practical special effects. Yeah. Like, the only one I can realistically remember is when there's an explosion, he rides his bike through it. <laughs> but it was still cool. Yeah, but what? look, if you if you haven't, go watch both of them. Yeah. 
They're both good in their own right. And if you're not a, a read up on your Steven Seagal stuff as well, go and do that. <laughs> oh, God. You're in for a laugh there where he killed a dog with a tank. <laughs> what? Did you not hear about that? No. So he was doing a programme where he where he was made an honorary police officer, but he's all fat and ageing. Yeah, and, he, and there was like even bits during the programme where it's like Seagal sense would come on and they'd clearly put an effect over it and then they'd film <laughs> the perps. It's like him looking out the window and he's like... <laughs> and he goes, like clearly scripted events, he goes, I think he's over there. And no. he always says to people like, God. he'll be arresting like black guys and he'll yeah. be like, hey, don't worry about it, brother. You're on a bad path, man, but you can get off that path, brother. And it's just like, shut up. Steve. But anyway, there was one bit where they were, they were, they were kind of, um, there was like a, as far as I recall, a drug smuggling operation, right? right. And he, he went to go and bust it and they yeah. pulled out the tank despite the fact that the police would never do that but because the you know the show was funding it and Seagal drives it into the bloke's house and kills his dog <gasps> I know oh my god Steve no it was a cockfighting operation that's, that, that was the funny thing about it because he <laughs> so was trying to save animals. some animals he killed one in the process yeah. <laughs> man's best friend man there's so many tangents this time right we're going to wow. stop this we're going to move on to your uh, correspondence with Electro Letters oh god yes in the future you will be able to send a letter or parcel from anywhere on the planet this sir is the Electro Letter so for this Electro Letters we asked you what are the best and worst magic items you have ever seen in an RPG. Yeah. Nick actually came up with a better Judge Dredd related question, but I'd already put this one ah, out. We'll do it next time. Yeah, we'll do it next fine. time. So um, first up, Sean Hunt, he comes in and he says, the deck of many things has never been rivaled in terms of power and craziness. Can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. Uh, the thing is, it's, it is a one-use thing. Put it in a game and you can't do it again really but no. if, if you run a separate campaign you can't put it in again it can be like the central item for a campaign yeah 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 yeah. because when you guys got it it was such a brilliant uh, kind of revelation and oh shit this can do bad things and good things and whenever you were really really down on your luck when it was your last resort you put a card and it was so exciting until it got given to a madman yeah, Ryan. Ryan <laughs> just pulling them out all over the place. It, yeah, Ryan was about to die. Basically, they, he was in this room of challenges, like in a ju- dungeon, <laughs> yeah. and he was about to die. And he just started. He started pulling them out. You know, like how when you see rappers fanning money with their hand, <laughs> he like, was doing out the deck of anything. Yeah, and he, he basically died. No, no, he didn't die. He's, went he's, to he's, another dimension. He went to another dimension. Uh, got attacked by a beast so large it was like city sized. Yeah. Then he went down two levels. Then he pulled another I'm one falling. and. Yeah, it, it, that oh. was while he was falling. Yeah, that was yeah. it. Then he pulled another one and his, he lost his corporeal form. <laughs> oh, that was so it. he was yeah. just the ghost. <laughs> yeah. But there was another one still floating in the air from where he'd been pulling them out. And that one sent him back to your dimension again. Yeah, that was so it. So the funny thing is, is that what happened throughout yeah, all of that is he he just lost his body. Yeah, that basically. was it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it resulted in, in, in a roundabout way, yeah. And he, he was so upset. He was like, I can't bloody do anything. So what can't all, do I, all I can do is talk. He was like, yep. <laughs> Um, Lewis Pineda, he says, a snow shovel. Now, it ain't what you think, listeners. He says it was a shovel that turned dirt into snow. Oh. I thought it was stupid until I, until I realised the utility against fire creatures. Ooh. Worse was a cloak of rain. You put it on and you would get wet from it raining inside the cloak. <laughs> we tried to use it to put out fires, but it only worked on people. No, so it just burnt. <laughs> yeah. I've got the, just the thing. Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, we burned the cloak. Um, Owen Lean, he says, Dr. Spectacular's translation glove. So Dr. Spectacular was one of these uh, uh, eccentric explorer types in one of his game. Anyway, the glove lets lets anyone understand you and you them, but to activate it, you have to slap them in the face. <laughs> I'm a big fan of magic items that have a caveat. Yeah. I like that. Like, yeah. like 
Oh, this sword. Like, if you give somebody a plus one sword, give them a plus one sword, but but yeah, always add a but. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But you Balance. have the appearance of a gnome. Yeah, I don't know anything. Anything, but, but yeah, give it. Give, yeah, this I love good. those types of Me things. Me too. Um, Eric Lamru, his answer, he says they all suck. Fucking Munchkin trophies. Woo. He does. He's not a fan of magic items. He just he doesn't like them, and he I think. For a lot of people, can um, bring imbalance to the game because the players have powers that allow them to get around certain it's situations. It's just a bad, bad, bad experience of an item. But I, I like that. I like yeah. it when the players have these items that that throw the enemies for a loop. Yeah, and when when you as a GM go, holy shit! Yeah, oh shit! They've used it in this really ingenious <laughs> I didn't think way. Of that. Yeah, like I, I remember in a DCC game, I once included a bunch of really Gonzo magic items, and one was a pair of gloves, and one glove would always point to the other. Oh, yeah. And it's like I can't remember who got it, but they're like, "This is fucking useless." But when you realise you can put it, put one glove somewhere, and then the other glove will point at it, and yeah. you go, "Oh, I know the way now." Yeah, it's yeah. that direction. It's As the crow flies, anyway. Yeah, yeah and uh, uh, the thing is, if you don't like magic items in the traditional sense. Make ones that have very small utilities and allow mm. the players to use them. Like mm-hmm. you had one that was a dancing frog, and oh, you got it out, yeah, and you yeah. would you could use it to entertain children yeah. or something. I've or, got a cat, and I don't remember. I've got this cat. I've got this little finger. If I put it on the floor, cats turn up. Yeah, it's a cat ring. Yeah, that's you, a cat it doesn't ring, do yeah. anything when it's on your finger, but when you take it off, cats turn up. Cat- <laughs> and it's the thing is, if you don't like traditional magic items that make the characters too powerful, little ones like that, the players ones. will find ways yeah. for, to use. Or them, the belt you know? we've got. That's cool. Oh, the gender-changing gender belt. Gender-changing belt. Yeah, that yeah. was funny, man. <laughs> I liked it, and I'm sorry if this is mildly sexist, but I liked it because one of the female characters put it on, and she was like, why do I suddenly feel an urge to have sex with everything and eat and drink and watch sports? <laughs> yeah, I like sports all of a sudden. I need to take this off. <laughs> yeah, and, and yes, that is sexist. Very sorry. Funny, but funny. Um, John Stevie says, in my first evolution of being a DM, 1980, I naively created an amulet and fucking kids outside. Shut up. I naively created an amulet of disintegration. <laughs> The rest of the group was not pleased, and because we rotate through DMs with the same characters, another DM was able to remove it from the game. <laughs> what so the hell's that? It brings to mind there's there's a monster in old D and D, and I think they're in a lot of new OSR games as well called the Rust Monster. Okay, yeah. Whenever the players are too powerful and they've got too much good gear, chuck a Rust Monster at them, and their their gear disintegrates. Oh. That that was always the old thing. That's yeah. what people do. So I think he did that. Like obviously he, the players had it on them, but surely if it started disintegrating your equipment, you just chuck it away. Yeah. Maybe mm. I didn't think of that. I like this amulet, but everything else keeps breaking. <laughs> uh, look, I, I have to deal with it. I'm so fashionable right <laughs> now with this, with this amulet. <laughs> it's a must. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Um, there's a good one here from Terry Hansen. A little bit of a long one, but I quite I quite like this one. He says, I have a soft spot for the parapet of rotting from the second ed AD&D. I just started playing D&D and I only had my friend Matt t- to play games with. I thought this cursed item would be an awesome story development and just delightfully nasty. Yeah, when he started rotting and couldn't take the item off, he pretty much quit playing <laughs> until I promised he'd never get the item again. It's not so much a magic item, but it was hallucination poison ah. in D&D 3.5 as well. I loved filling a dungeon with this insanity gas and all the players were certain they were surrounded by enemies but were just hacking at themselves. Oh, <laughs> that's, I like that. That's like nice that. little man. mind game. Yeah, so he, he obviously likes to throw the curveballs in there. I like that. Terry, you're evil. Yeah, Terry, get help. Get help. <laughs> no, I like Terry. He, 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 He's good, man. He likes my cat. He likes your cat. Well, yeah, then that makes him a good guy. Um, and then we got a couple of normal questions, just regular questions. Just regos. Us. Before we get into those, 
Wait, let's let's have a little discussion. What's your favourite magic item you've ever seen in a game? I remember one from a long time ago that was good. What was that? That glove, that glove of duelling. Do you remember? Oh, the glove of duelling from our DCC campaign. <laughs> um, if you slapped somebody with it, they would. It, I think it was that they would be immediately attracted to you, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'll do what you no, say. No, no, that was separate. No, it, it was if you, if you slapped somebody with it, they would feel an unsatiable urge to f- to focus on you and fight you. That was it. Yeah, it was that a was really fun. really good way to draw aggro in a fight. That's it. If, uh... if, if other people was focusing on other people, you just slap them with that. <laughs> yeah, just slap them with that glove of duelling. There was another one as well that was all. Awesome. There was a good one from that DCC campaign that I liked um, that you guys never bought, but it was the bagpipes of stealth, and you would be undetectable, but obviously you had to play the bagpipes bagpipes really loud for it to work. So it's just a completely nut. That's like that's like a wizard's failed experiment. I did like the uh, bubble gun. The bubble gun was good. <laughs> you know what? Actually, it's kind of a magic item, but the, the anything detector. Oh. <laughs> I, I actually made it as a an artifact yeah. for MCC. Yeah. You put any object into the chamber on the front, pull the trigger, and it will detect that object within a 100-mile uh, radius. Beep. Beep. Yes. Beep. <laughs> the creator's voice was recorded instead of the natural beep. So, <laughs> so it goes, beep, 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 beep. That yeah, was it's very good. good. It was very, there's too many, man. We've had, some fa- we've had some fantastic ones over the years. There's one item, magic item that you guys have got on yourselves at the moment in the campaign that you didn't think to get identified. And I won't tell you what it is, but one of them. It's just a very mundane item that you guys picked up. And I no, none of you have used it yet. What, last session? Or we had it for a while? I ain't going to tell you. Oh, it's, a ne- it's, it's either that statue thing or that necklace. Uh, well, we'll see. Uh, right. oh. So, on to the normal questions. Michael okay. Hassenstab, he says, "How do you handle running a game where other judges, DMs, or GMs are playing, are uh, playing, are that playing. seem to want to help run your game for you? So, interrupting your game, I guess, when you're playing with other GMs, yeah, happen. it's called backseat DMing, and yeah. I think I I have been guilty of it not in the past, but the thing I I put it is this way: is that like. There are two versions of this. Yeah. There's the guy that's saying this is how you should do it, uh-huh. and then there's the guy that when they see the GM is struggling to find a rule, they, t- they tell them a bit of coaching. Things. That's like what that. I prefer. So a lot of the time, Harrison will be way more au fait with the rules than I will be in running a game, and more often than not, I'll be like, mate, I might need to just get a little bit of coaching as we go for a few snap kind of yeah, rules so and stuff. And I prefer evolved. that. It's evolved now to the point where like you feel comfortable like mid game just saying, Harrison, what's the rule for that? Yeah, and yeah, I'll just yeah. go, okay, it's this. And I'm more than happy for that. And and the thing is, it's like uh, I've. I've done it often like when Sean was first running Fallout he was nervous as hell in yep. the first couple of yep. sessions he'd yep. be like what's the penalty for darkness and I'd just be like it's a minus two mate yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's being helpful but there's the backseat GMing that's a whole different kettle of fish yeah like to give a good good example there was if you've you've listened to the Adventure Zone right really cracking uh, um, actual play podcast and on that they, the, the GM for, for ages was this guy called Griffin and on the next session they did they did a bunch of smaller experimental arcs where the dad took over because it's all their family and (laughs) and on his arc Griffin kept saying well you know actually I think a better way to do it would be this and I you know I don't want to step on your toes but here's how we should be doing it you know or create a better story and it's like mate just let the guy GM let your dad have a go man if you want to chime in to be helpful just do it uh, you know carefully don't influence the guy just kind of give him you can give an opinion, but don't say you should do this. It will make the game better because you're undermining the GM. Yes. As for um, how to handle people like that, my honest opinion is that uh, if you're GMing, you do need to have a bit of uh, sternity to you. And if somebody's yeah. doing that, you just need to say, "Well, I'm going to rule it like this. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah. how we're ruling it. Uh, how we're ruling it. Now we can discuss it later." We've wasted too much time talking about it. You have to be firm. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and that's one thing that I've learned. If mm-hmm. you're not firm and uh, people can walk all over you they yeah. will yeah 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 players will always find the easiest route to anything you're absolutely right yeah I'd agree so you need to be yeah be firm and also on the other side of the of, of it 
coaching is fine as long as it's just helpful. If people are just trying to be helpful, yeah. accept it. Exactly. Um, Sh- uh, Shogun Pumba comes in. Shogun Pumba, never Pumba. know how to pronounce that. He says, apart from your whacked in the wicket, what's the best one shot you've played or GM'd? And you know what? I've got two. And this isn't simply... Because I I'm, might be recency bias, but I'm not sure. But Tales of the Scarecrow, oh. that was one of my favourites. Yeah. The one that we discussed in What You're Slaying. Uh-huh. The other one, the other best one shot I've ever played, and apologies to anyone listening whose one shots I've played in, but this was world class, was Wise Guys in America. Oh, um, right, yeah. With Eric's terrain and just how great the story was, how cinematic it was. We discussed it on our Con on the Cob episode, but essentially what it was was that, uh, as far as I recall... Some people that owed us money were in uh, outback in America, right. we, in like Las Vegas, right? And they had all these sheds and huts, like proper hick type people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had to go and shake them down. And the old boom dogs. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really yeah. simple story, but it had people ju- jumping out the the trunks with Uzis. We had a monster <laughs> yeah. truck come out, like proper, <laughs> proper like backwards. Moonshine grenades coming in. It was, and this woman came out with two tigers on a lead. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like immediately awesome. I chucked this dynamite and yep. shot it in midair awesome. he gave me like a minus 8 to hit and I still hit it blew the fuck out of those tigers and he was just like I had this really cool encounter planned and you just blew them up oh <laughs> well Eric that's how there it goes, goes. E-Rock. for me uh, GMing I've got to say the tentacle game I loved GMing that it was so much fun and playing best one shot I've got, I've got still hands down I think it is the best one is the um, the made one shot when we were working in the dungeon I'm actually, I'm actually going to put that up there too. As, it's my as, absolute favourite. It's so funny. As for GMing, Made is such an unexpected gem. Oh, mate. I, I kind of bought, I literally bought that for this show to be like, <laughs> look at this weird thing. And we were all like, wow. When we played amazing. it, it was actually, because it, it does comedy better than any other oh, game. Oh, it's brilliant. And it's like the Dark Overlord trying to go legit, a load of business people coming around. We're trying to like dress up a dungeon to make it not look like a dungeon. It was hilarious. It's it so was funny. Like, there's a chandelier hilarious. made of bone, like oh, fucking monsters oh were coming God. out of every crevice. Imps all over the place. Yeah, What's that? the world do you remember that? oh yeah yeah you had to put they, there was a bit where they opened the cupboard just to get like a champagne glass for these people that would come over and a bunch of imps pour it out and they're like shit fucking put yeah, them back in the cupboard the place. and I remember it was really funny like sitcom level funny where this this like all the imps suddenly burst into the dining oh. room and James only the woman who the, who the dungeon guy was entertaining at the time only the woman could see it and he punched her in the back of the head knocking her out so that she wouldn't see it and then when she woke up she went what happened and he was like I don't know I don't know what happened yeah, you're right <laughs> It was, yeah, it was just chaos and I loved it and it was just so much fun. So yeah, they're my two, GM and player. Play more weird RPGs in general if you're Absolutely, listening to this. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Michael Hassenstab, he has another question for Me. us. No, that's the same question. So that's it. That's a double paste. <laughs> that's a double. So uh, yeah, that's it for the questions. I want to say some cracking entries to the magic item one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry we couldn't get to them all, but you know, I ain't got a day. <laughs> Um, we do this for fun you think we hate this hobby I've never even played an RPG I don't even own a book <laughs> yeah Dungeons and Dragons what's that what's that so that's it thank you very much for your correspondence we love them always and keep them coming but now Absolutely. we're going to go on to our award winning segment Ooh. it's the outro oh yeah so the initiation process how does that work so um, yes one of our favourite things is the medieval blood sport so this is that was another episode wasn't it it certainly was mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. guess it was Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you want to contact us, uh, yeah, uh, 3trpgpod at gmail.com and the 3trpg podcast, search it up on Facebook, Twitter, MeWe, all of that good stuff. That's we it. recently got on Instagram, which I used for about a day, but I continue, uh, I'm going to try to uh, update it more. Yeah, it's fun. I like the stories. I make me laugh. Yeah, those are a bit weird. They're good. They're good. Um, so what we're going to do, um, and also if you want to donate to us, search us on Patreon and donate a couple of bucks. And if you feel like that's too much of a commitment, you can support the show by buying 78 Hamlet Happenings on Drive Through RPG. Absolutely, you can. Okay, uh, so, usual but, schedule will resume. 
yeah, usual se- schedule is going to resume from now. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just uh, yeah, just keep your ears out. I've been Harrison Hunt. I've been Nick Lambslice. And always remember that D20s are cool, but 20Ds, now that's a good time. Oh, yeah. Should we go down the pub? Let's go. Hey! <laughs> <laughs>